there's something really magical that happens in an endurance race. It's such a crazy trip in your head. But at the same time, like, I've never started a race and ended it as the same person that started it. Always ended it with much more gratitude, appreciation, love. It just fills me up and makes me so much more grateful for my life. That's Erin McCann, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Hey guys, I'm your host, Kara Duffy, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast, where I invite my favorite humans, the awesome, the up to something, and the extraordinary to come and share their story. I hope that you'll be left entertained, inspired, and moved to take action towards living your most powerful life. Erin McCann is one of the most powerful women I know. She plays life full out in every area of her life. Life shows up and she's there to match it. She's a competitive cross-country cyclist doing crazy things like 24-hour races on her bike. And she's also the co-founder of the nonprofit Project Bike Love, who delivers bikes to women and girls around the world. She's a beast at pushing her life to the max. And we haven't even gotten to her day job yet. (laughs) On this episode, we get into the details of what it means to play full out and show up and be brave and look back and say, fuck yeah. Hi, Erin. Thanks for coming on the Powerful Ladies podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. It's exciting. It is. Um, So you and I met because um, you and your uh, charity, Project Bike Love, were one of the first charities that Hello Possibility helped and one of our first graduates out of the program as well, which is awesome. And we also know each other through like taking landmark courses together and being part of that community. And I just know you as such a big person, both um, for your friend group and for the bike community. Like You're always someone who's up to big things. Um, But let's start at the beginning. All over, in a way. Uh, I was born in... (laughs) It's kind of crazy. I was born in Santa Barbara. Um, I only lived there for about a year. And my parents moved to Switzerland. Um, My dad got a job in Lugano teaching um, for a few years. And then... We ended up moving to Auburn, Alabama. So I generally say that I'm from Auburn, Alabama, because that's kind of where all my childhood memories are from and all my childhood friends and all those, you know, those like memories you have as a kid. So I always say like, that's where I'm from. I'm from Auburn, Alabama. But um, I moved um, in like middle school. My mom moved us to Nebraska and then I would live between Nebraska and Alabama. And then when my dad got a job in California and left Alabama, I went to live with him. And so I've been in California now since two, that, or no, since 1999. So for almost 20 years. (laughs) Yeah. How how old were you when you first moved to Auburn? I think I was four or five. I was like four. And then how old were you when you moved to Nebraska? I think I was 11. Yeah. Okay. So kind of like elementary and then middle school and then adulthood into California. Yeah. And then I was spent, but when I, between like 11 and 15, I still spent um, two and a half months in the summer and all my holidays in Auburn. So I still kind of like, in a way was 
still spending a lot of time there. And most people know Auburn are who are people that are either from the South or really care about football. Exactly. College football, War Eagle. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Did you go to college there? Uh, I went there for a year. Yeah. Um, I got accepted on to their equestrian program and um, went there for school uh, in the College of Agriculture as a pre-vet major. This is Um, so fascinating. I now have 50 million more questions. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then I decided uh, I wasn't really good at that. (laughs) (laughs) The the college part or the veterinarian part? The veterinarian part. Yeah. Well, let's let's back up for everybody listening because um, first, why were your parents moving to Switzerland and, and Auburn? Was it all for your dad's job and what he was doing? Yes, it was all for my dad's job. Anybody who knows anything about professors or teachers getting their PhDs and looking for jobs, it's really difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was pretty much chasing like a 10-year job, right, at a university and um, out when he left Santa Barbara. So I was born in Santa Barbara. He got his PhD at Santa Barbara. And then he got a job teaching at a college in Lugano, Switzerland. And then he got offered a 10-year position at Auburn. And he was at their philosophy department. And your dad uh, has also been a pretty well-known guy in his field. Um, Yeah. Can you tell the audience a little bit about what it was that he studied and taught? Yeah. So my dad had a PhD in philosophy and he studied, uh, or sorry, and he taught philosophy courses. He also taught uh, business courses, mostly like business ethics. Um, And he wrote a lot of books on um, that as well. And he was a very active uh, libertarian. I would even call him an activist in a way. He was Mm -hmm. definitely somebody who um, fought for what you would call a freedom fighter in some ways. Um, And he founded a magazine called uh, Reason uh, many, many years ago. And Reason Magazine was um, uh, something that he was very passionate about and spent his life writing for. And so he was a, I mean, he was a a writer, uh, a journalist. He wrote for the Orange County Register. Um, So it was uh, very like, uh, much more like political philosophy, mm-hmm. um, things like that, or things that oftentimes were are still over my head. <laughs> <laughs> He's still to this day the most intelligent person I've ever known in my life. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So growing up, what was it like for you to be in a family where you're moving for your dad's work and education and philosophy are such a you know, an important integral part of the family in his life and, you know, just going through that space. Was it, was it fun? Was it an adventure? How did you view it at the time? You know, I think with anything it had, I had really, it was really great and it was also really hard. I think as an adult, I appreciated a lot more as a child. I think I maybe was a little bit more frustrated with it. You know, our dinner table conversations were oftentimes arguments about things that were subjective versus objective and free will versus determinism. And 
you know, <laughs> like, um, what, like we'd have these big discussions about what opinions were versus facts. And like, this, this is what I, this is literally what our dinner conversations were since I could talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of me as a child was frustrated by it. Um, you know, the other thing about my dad, he, my dad was an immigrant. He was born in Hungary uh, and came over here when he was 18 and he didn't speak English. So that was a big part of who he was, was, you know, it was becoming an American. Mm-hmm. And so part of that was the way that we talked, like growing up in Auburn, he didn't like that. I'd come home from school with a Southern accent. Like he wanted it to be, like, <laughs> he was always correcting my speech and the way I said things. And, and so he was really see how much he loved me mm-hmm. and, and the ways that he showed it, it was just different than, but as a kid, it was frustrating. Yes. Like I moved around a lot too growing up and we definitely had some interesting dinner table conversations, but they were not that. It wasn't, you know, PhD <laughs> student level conversations when I was a kid about what we were talking about and how the world was <laughs> being impacted. Um, <laughs> but it seems like within like the way that I know you, like you're, you are, um, you're so determined and um, driven, but equally like free and happy to just really pursue your own passions. Is that something that your parents taught you or is that something that you've kind of discovered along the way? I think it's a combination of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my, you know, um, I think my dad was unapologetically himself was what he was passionate about, regardless of what anybody thought, even us. So I would love to also go back to how you got an equestrian scholarship, because that to me is really fascinating because I didn't even know that was a possibility. Yeah. It, uh, to be honest, that's, it, that's kind of one of the biggest like turning, like that was, that was a really big time in my life, to be honest, because that was um, something that I worked really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I rode this here in California um, and I wanted to go to Auburn and I, you know, it was like my dream since I was a little girl, mm-hmm. like it was a dream. I was going to go to Auburn. I was going to ride horses. And, um, so I applied and I had to go through all these steps. Like I had to take a video of me riding and to age myself, uh, it was on VHS. <laughs> so <laughs> remember like you had like the big ass shoulder recorder, you know? Oh Yeah. <laughs> And it like recorded onto a VHS and then you have to like send the VHS in um, and they review it. And uh, it was like just videos of me showing and riding and then um, you try out and that that's like your tryout. Mm-hmm. And I got accepted on the team and that was like, I don't know how personal you want me to go, but I kind of just, I, in a, in a lot of ways, I just, I didn't, I kind of threw it away. Um the first semester was really hard and I had moved away to this really big school and I was going to Chapman that only had like, you know, 20 people at the most in the class. And now I was in an auditorium with 300 people taking about classes and I'd show up and it's equestrian team. They, they were all like friends and they'd been on there for a while. And I was coming in kind of as a transfer cause I wasn't a freshman. So I was coming in like in, in the middle and, I don't know. I just guess I, I let a lot of my insecurities get the best of me. And I eventually like quit the team because I never like felt good enough. And it was a really strange thing. Um, 
Uh, I still rode horses after that, but I somehow, I don't know. I don't really, I just kind of gave up on it halfway through. And and then what? But, after after you kind of after you walk away from something that's been your passion for so long, like what did you focus on next? Um, well, I guess like what what I was gonna do next. You mm-hmm. know, it's kind of hard when I. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of other like twenty twenty one year olds that can relate to this, but it's like you spend your whole life wanting to do something, um, and then you get it. And then it's like, I, you know, I got it and I got there and I just don't know if I was really, I didn't really have what it took. I wasn't mature enough. Like I am so impressed by 20, 21 year olds these days that I meet that are just like kicking ass at life. Mm-hmm. I was like, not there at 21. I was so, I had no idea what I was doing or what I wanted to do. Like I didn't, it had such a hard time making future goals and um, I always felt like I was kind of running, to mm-hmm. some, like running to something and chasing something and then I'd get it and then it wasn't good enough. So I'd chase something else. And, um, and that's kind of like what happened. I was in California my, This is on a, a, to backtrack a little bit. I was in California. I was going to community college. Um, and my best friend had committed suicide. You know, that's when I sort of woke up from being a, like, kind of, I don't know what you call me, like just just kind of just like I wouldn't say I was a deadbeat, but I wasn't doing anything with my life really. Like I was just going to community college and serving, you know. Like I was like, I have to do something different. Like I have to because this is like it's just one of those moments, you know. And so I immediately transferred to Chapman University. I started getting my shit together so I could, you know, get the resume like I needed to be able to go to Auburn. And then after a year of going to uh, Chapman and like getting good grades and in a sorority. I was like doing all the things that I was really supposed to do. And I turned my whole life around, you know, but I think I did it in this way that was very like, I like, I was like forcing it. It was like survival, you know, like Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't really like present to it. So I don't, so once I finally made it all happen and I got to Auburn and like the reality set in of all the things it was going to take to like, succeed at that school and succeed on that program I just don't I didn't have it yet I was just like okay now I'm gonna run to the next thing and so then I moved to like northern Alabama and I went to this school called Montevallo and then um after that I like packed my stuff and I moved myself back across the country and came back to Chapman so So even after you, you got into Auburn and you went to the, um, you know, two other schools and, you know, I look at, you know, who I know you as is somebody who is so um, intentional with how you spend your time and what you do. Like, where did that change happen for you between being there and getting through college and like who you are today? Like, what was, were there other turning points that really kind of solidified what you care about and how you're going to spend your time. Cause, and, and maybe we should also tell everybody that like what you're doing now. So let's do that first and we can come back to like the, the jump okay. between them. Cause I think once people know what you're doing now, it's like, it's, uh, you know, it's amazing, which is why I asked you to be on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm doing, uh, gosh, uh, and doing a lot of things in my life right now. I think, 
my life is so incredibly amazing today compared to like thinking about how it was when we were talking about, you know, 2021. Um, I, you know, right now I am the co-founder of Project Bike Love, which you mentioned earlier, which is um, a nonprofit that delivers bikes to impoverished women around the world. And we've delivered like over 300 bikes at this point to women and children. And um, that was something that I never in a million years thought that I could do or that I possessed the ability to do or that um, I could ever figure out um how to do that. And nor did I ever even know I wanted to. Like, I, <laughs> right. I, it's funny because my co-founder, Belin, she like grew up a humanitarian. She's like everything. She's the most inspiring person to me. Like as a child, she wanted to give back. She was going to be a doctor, but she didn't want to be a doctor that made a lot of money and worked in a fancy place. You know, she wanted to work for Doctors Without Borders and she needed to learn all the languages, you know, so she could speak French and Spanish and English, you know, and mm-hmm. that that to me is so incredibly removed from, from anything I thought as a kid, you know, like when I was a kid, I was so, I don't know, I was like really unhappy and in a way very like self-centered, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, And to have, to meet this woman who is so passionate about humanitarianism and her wanting to actually do this with me um, I know I like just have so much gratitude for it. We, um, it's cool. It's a great dynamic because it's like, you know, I am somebody who found this passion much later in my life and she's someone who's had it. And in some way we balance each other out a lot mm-hmm. as far as I went. And you know that from, you know, working with you guys in hello possibility to being like, okay, like now you guys need to go like figure it out. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, like, wait a minute. Like, I really like the comfort of someone else doing all of this for me, you know? And, um, and so that took a lot. And it, you know, and I look back and I, that girl at 21 that like quit the equestrian team and moved here and moved there and was constantly like looking for the easiest possible way, um, to now being able to like really get through the hard stuff and like powerfully and, um, and that's really like Project Bike Love's been a big practice in that for me um, as far as just a lot of things like being told no a lot, failing a lot, not not reaching the goals that I set and still doing it anyways. Um, and then, you know, I also work. That's that's my side. That's my side job. <laughs> that's my full time side job. Um and I work uh, full-time for Specialized Bicycle Components, which is a bike company. And I am the mountain bike technical expert. And I teach uh, mountain bike product and suspension and stuff to retailers all around uh, the country, as well as to other uh, teammates globally, which is honestly like a, it's, it's a dream job. It's so much fun. It's so rewarding. It's so hard. And, uh, I love it. It's just, it's, it's a, it's such a cool, I don't know. It's such a cool job. And again, like, it's just something I never in a million years thought that I would be doing. <laughs> well, I, obviously there's a theme of bicycles in your life and there's, it's such a passion of yours and what we haven't gotten to yet is how you spend all of your free time at least from my perspective. 
Whenever I am following <laughs> you on Instagram or on Facebook, like you're always riding somewhere. So do you want to tell people what type of riding you do and how you compete? And I'm just even curious, like, how did you get into it? Uh, so after I got out of, after I moved back here to California from um, Auburn, I had stopped riding horses for a while, but eventually I got back into it and I was riding a lot and something that may not be surprising to a lot of people. It's really freaking expensive to ride horses in California. Yeah. Uh, much more expensive than it is in Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I was, I was like working three jobs and all of this stuff to just pay for my horse. And um, eventually I realized like I just came to the decision. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Like I tried and I tried and I tried to hold on and, and I just, I couldn't do it. Um, so I, I was obviously devastated. It was, it was like, it was like saying, you know, it's almost like a death. It was like its own kind of grief, you mm-hmm. know, like you're saying goodbye to something that you've chased your whole life. That was like your love. Um, and I, a friend of mine had suggested that I ride a bike because I, I want, I didn't want to be in a gym. I wanted to be outside, but I still wanted to do something active, but it couldn't be as expensive as horses. You know, I just needed a new hobby. Um, and so I was introduced to cycling through a friend of mine and honestly, it just kind of escalated quickly. Like my very first ride, I had bought a bike on Craigslist for like $200 and I was in like gym shorts and sneakers and like some old helmet, you know, it's just so typical. It's like my first ride, you know, I get on this bike and I get on the river trail and, um, I think I rode 25 miles. (laughs) 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 Only you would. Only you would. (laughs) Yeah. And that's kind of, and it just, you know, things for me that I'm passionate about escalate quickly. They just do. I go all in with Mm -hmm. everything, whether it's relationships, uh, hobbies, whatever it is, you know, I just, I know right away when I fall in love with something and then I just put everything into it. And that's kind of what cycling was for me. And it evolved like before it was just road bikes. And then I started doing triathlon and it evolved. I was like, I don't really like anything but riding the bike. So I didn't, you know, (laughs) so then a few years after riding somebody, I borrowed a bike from somebody and I did this local race in Orange County called Over the Hump. I think you've been there. You went there with us. I've been to a couple. Yeah. It's at Irvine Lake. Yeah. It's amazing. It's just like weekday party and there's like 700 people that show up to race their bikes on like a Tuesday night. It's incredible. Uh, And I did that race as my very first like mountain bike race. And um, I was on like a just like an old bike that was too big for me. And I would race the beginner category and, and I won. Your first race. <laughs> I won my race. My first race. <laughs> and I was like, I was, I felt like I was going to throw up and I was dirty. And I think I might've even crashed once. And I just fell in love. I'm just, I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie in a lot of ways. And um, but more like, it's just so challenging and it's not adrenaline. Like I'm chasing like the adrenaline. It's more just like, 
when I have something I'm really afraid of and I do it anyways and I, and I succeed in some way, it's mm-hmm. like addicting to me to like, to do things I'm afraid of and then be okay. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of like, it makes total that didn't sense. Develop in, yeah. It just, it didn't develop until, you know, probably like my thirties, like early, like or late twenties, mm-hmm. maybe even when I was 30, there was like a huge change. Um, and that became, I didn't, I didn't run away from things anymore. Like I more started to like face them. And then that has almost become just like what I'm up to. Like, Oh, I'm really afraid of that. Okay. I got to do it. You know, (laughs) (laughs) what, what happened when you were 30 that led to this transformation? Oh, so this is like one of those things that just, so going back a little bit, when I moved back from Auburn and moved back to California, when I was like 23, around 23, I met a guy and fell in love and it was really not the healthiest relationship. There was a lot of ups and downs and you know, I'll, I'll spare the details, but it just, it was, she was just kind of one of those back and forth. Like I knew it wasn't good for me, but I really loved him. So I always would really try hard to stay and then we'd break up and then we'd get back together and we'd break up and we'd get back together. And that pretty much was my entire Mm twenties, 23 to 30 was that. And, um, we had gotten engaged when I was like 25 Mm -hmm. and broke it off. And then he had got sober and then we had become friends and then we got back together. We decided we'd try it again because we were new people now, you know, and at 30 you're like actually just before my 30th birthday in February, I, he proposed to me again <laughs> and I said yes again. And so then there we were planning another wedding and nothing was like, it wasn't better. Nothing was better. I remember like, even when we were getting engaged, I was like, what is that? Why are we doing, you know, like, but I kept doing it. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if any, you can probably relate to this, but it's just like, there's things in your life that you don't know why you're doing and you keep doing it. Yeah. Um, we want to be in it. And I remember, I remember telling my best friend, I was like, you know what? what's the worst that's going to happen? We're going to get divorced. <laughs> she's like, that's not how you start a marriage. <laughs> you know, like, right. but like somehow, like I was just like, okay with it. Well, we'll just go through it. Even though like there's pretty much, it's not going to last, you know? And, um, and I remember when I broke it off that time, it, it was really hard and it wasn't necessarily that I was losing the relationship, but I, I was just like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Mm-hmm. And like, that's a really devastating feeling to have about yourself because it's just so, there's so many things wrapped up in it. Like the not worthiness. So like, why do, why am I not like, why can't I do what I say I'm going to do? Like, why do I keep ending up in something I don't want to be in? Like, it, there's, it's just like nothing like my emotions and my reactions and what I wanted, like nothing added up. Yeah. And it was, I just was falling apart. And to be honest, I I sat at my dad's house. Obviously, I moved back into my dad's house at 30 years old. Here I am, 
30 years old, moving into my parents again, you know, and just thinking like, God, what's wrong with me? And, um, I just cried every day. I laid in bed and I cried. I watched the entire Breaking Bad series on Netflix, like <laughs> in a month. <laughs> That's impressive. Like, I was depressed. Mm-hmm. And I knew I needed a change. And and at that point, I, I honestly was like, I'll just do any, I'll, like, I will literally do anything. And my friend Arden had done this thing called Landmark. <laughs> and so... She and I couldn't afford it because, again, I didn't have a job. I just moved to my dad's house. I just ended a marriage, like all of this stuff. And so her and a friend of mine um, that had done Landmark paid for me to go. And I, that literally, that changed, that just literally changed the entire direction of my life. Yeah. Um, in a lot, in so many ways. <laughs> I can't even, like so many ways out of like three days. And I walked out of there a totally different person than I walked in and not because anything about me had changed in three days, but like my, my perspective on like life and who I was and what I was capable of, like completely changed. And a huge process started in just like forgiveness and compassion and love. Like it just like opened my heart so fucking big to Mm -hmm. this world like I have never been like so in love with like life and and um anything since then and then that kind of just opened up a whole new world of like possibilities of what like I wanted to do in this like short little life we have yeah which is amazing and for everyone that's listening that isn't familiar with Landmark it's a transformational leadership program um, that a lot, actually a lot of people who have been on the podcast have either taken or I've met through <laughs> someone who's taken and it tends to collect people who, um, I don't know if they're destined for big things before they got there or they're just, they know there's something more. And I don't know anyone that's gone through it that hasn't found something to do that's bigger in their life than they were before. And it's not like some crazy cult thing. It's like a three-day workshop about figuring your shit out. <laughs> like that's really yeah. sorry, Jordan's shaking her head. No, I I want to tell, <laughs> I want to, for those listening, it is not a cult thing yeah. as much as someone might think it is. I have taken it and I have taken like the communication course and I am here now. Right. You would like, yeah. Both you and Aaron and myself yeah. have created lives that, you know, may not have happened if that, if you hadn't gone through the course, no. basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Aaron, I'm, I'm the same way. Like, Kara ended up paying for my course and I actually like paid her back for it. Yes. <laughs> so that's what I did. They paid for me. And when I was in there, I was like, I'm going to pay for somebody else to go now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you pay it for, like, the minute you go, it's just, yeah, it's so huge. It's so huge. And it's funny because people talk about it like like it's a cult or something. Like they'll they'll make these things like, oh, it's like a, what's that? Amway? Yeah. <laughs> they'll make like Amway jokes. And the thing is, is like the fact is that I know that everybody who walks in that door makes an impact in the world, even even in the smallest way and some in the 
biggest way. Like I have seen so many things transform in those three days with families, friends. It's like, who cares what it is? Like it's, it's so powerful. And like so many people benefit are impacted by it. It's just, I don't know why anybody would be afraid to, to do something that's like uh, just so powerful. I mean, I can tell you why. My first, my first instinct going into even, um, I uh, our dad took it, yeah, and he invited me on the last day uh, or the last kind of his Tuesday night Tuesday night session, and I hated it. I was like, these people are way too happy. <laughs> Who are these? I can't do it. I'm like, they're way too happy. Like it's it's a cult. Like all the thoughts that anyone could imagine all went through my head and I was at my lowest of lowest points and I did it and I remember the first day like fighting it and fighting it and the end of that day I was like oh yeah I have to go back the next day (laughs) so yeah what impresses me is is how um like you when I like what I know of you as really is someone who cares about people and the world and leaving it a better place and like really eating it all up like that you are a yes to like let's have an awesome life and I love that you are the person creating it for yourself despite any circumstances or what shows up in your path and like I really honor and respect you for how vulnerable you are about like what's happening like you're not afraid to put it all on the line for what you actually care about and that's just, it's really honorable to me that, that you're willing to play that, that much out that a lot of people are, are, they just, you know, everyone has the thought that I can't do that or that's not for me or that's somebody mm-hmm. else is better. And one, it's bullshit. And two, like yeah. you, you, anyone can have access to having the a life better than they thought possible, but you do need to play all out. Like you can't. You can't um, worry about looking good and having a great life at the same time. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, that, like, honestly gives me chills because it's so true. And I, and it's funny because I, I work in an industry and especially in a company that's very, like, you know, this, you know, like, it's all about being cool. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, and, and I have a hard time in those em- environments, which is, it's funny because it's kind of like comes full circle, right? One of the things that happened when I was that 21 year old in the equestrian team is like, I didn't feel cool enough to be on that team. Yeah. They were all so much cooler than me. You know, they all knew each other and they were the cool girls and this and that. And like, I couldn't, like I always felt not good enough to be in it. Um, and now fast forward to like being 34 years old and walking in a specialized and now it's like this, you know, cool kids company and everybody's got to be like, you know, ugh, like I don't even know how to explain it. It's just that's the best way to talk about it is really just saying, you know, it's all about being cool and looking good. And I remember telling myself, you know, when I took this job, that like I wasn't going to fall into that again. Like I was going to be me, unapologetically me. And I was going to be okay with that. And I feel like I've done that. I've been, you know, and I feel like I've been able to stay committed to that, you know, sort of agreement I made with myself because I just think in a world that's so, it's so much about looking good that like, 
I'd rather feel embarrassed sometimes or dorky or annoying. Like I'd rather feel all those feelings than try to be cool enough. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like, and, and I, and it helps because people, people want that. Like they want that vulnerability and that realness to connect to Mm -hmm. because you can't connect to coolness. No, there's like, (laughs) there's no connection and coolness. Like, you know, you, it's all like the connection happens in the real moments when you like, when you can be like, Oh yeah, you too. Or, Oh yeah, me too. You know? And then that's when you're like, Oh wow, we're all really the same. So like, you're not really cooler than anybody else, (laughs) you know? Right. (laughs) And as an outsider, it, it, I like chuckled to myself thinking about the bike world being cool. Cause I'm like, but everyone is an obsessed bike nerd. Like, what do you, where? I know that's, <laughs> that's the best part. Nobody's cool. Yeah. Like, we all wear Lycra and dorky <laughs> outfits and ride bikes. And you know, like we're not cool. Like it's just so funny. It's, it's just so funny. It's just like that type a, you know, male dominated industry, you know, mm-hmm. or, Oh, but, and I'm not, and I'm not saying anything bad about the people that I know through my company, the people I work for and work with are amazing humans. So it's definitely, it's, I have so much gratitude for like the relationships I have with the people I work with. Very fortunate. I really respect everybody that is working in a highly specialized competitive sport world, um, whether it's mm-hmm. the people I've met through running or the people that I've met through, you know, working in the sports industry that are so committed to progressing themselves competitively and the sport and like getting as many people as possible to get like feel the passion that they feel about why they cycle or run or swim for miles. Um like beyond mm-hmm. rational thought <laughs> distances that people do. Yeah. Um, I mean, even yourself, I mean, the co- competitions, because there's mountain biking and then there's, is it cross trek? What's the, um, like at over the hump, what is that called? That type of cycling? Like cross country. Cross country. Okay. And then, because you yeah. also compete in the crazy long distances of that. Yes, which would be like, in, it's called endurance racing. And and how many miles is that? Ooh, that depends. So the, that's, that was, that's an interesting one for me getting into that because it just, I kind of wanted to push myself and just see how far I could go. And um, a friend of mine had suggested I do like this, uh, I guess it was a 50K. Mm-hmm. And um I did it and I did great and it was so much fun. And so like the next year I did a hundred K and like that, that was kind of my limit. I did this hundred K race and I, you know, it was so awesome. And then uh, another friend's like, Hey, you should do this 12 hour race. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So I, (laughs) right. Okay. Why not? I'll try it. And then, um, so I did it and I did this 12 hour race and I think I, I got second place and I was like, um, I rode my bike for 12 hours and did like a hundred and something miles. And it was like crazy. And you're like in your head for, and you're just alone on your bike for 12 straight hours. It's nuts. Um, 
And then I qualified for the Leadville 100, which is a 100-mile mountain bike race at 10,000 feet of elevation that pretty much goes between 9,000 and 12,000 the entire time. In Leadville, Colorado? Uh, And I did that, and, like, I finished. And, like, yeah, that's in Leadville, Colorado. It's, like, a pretty prestigious, like, race out there. And um, you have to qualify on, like, a a draw, like, a lottery. Um, And I qualified at uh, a race out here, actually, in Tahoe. And, um, and then I did that. And then I did, and then of course someone's like, well, why don't you try this 24 hour race? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So then I rode my bike for 20 hours straight in a 24 hour race. And then, you know, and it just, and I don't know, I just like to try things in this. It's kind of like, I'm just like waiting and it's like, I want to keep doing it until I finally am like, okay, that's what I can't do. <laughs> yeah. Like I found my limit, you know, but it's kind of like everything that I've sort of set out and trained to kind of find that, you know, limit, like how, how far can I go and um, how long can I ride my bike? And there's something, it's, there's something really magical that happens in an endurance race, especially when you're really present and full of gratitude and, sort of like are looking for, you know, are are open to it because it's such a crazy trip in your head for like that many hours suffering on a bike. (laughs) And to some, it sounds absolutely miserable. And in some ways it is like, in some ways it absolutely is. But at the same time, like it's, it's just like, I've never started a race and ended it as the same person that started it. I've always ended it with much more gratitude, appreciation, love, like, it just fills me up and makes me, I don't know, so much more grateful for my life. And the fact that like, I got, you know, that I got through it or that I did well, or that I survived the really low points. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a crazy thing, but for me, it's very rewarding. I just love the approach of when somebody asks you to try something that you just say, sure, I'll try. And there's so much that people can get out of just adopting that philosophy to what shows up for themselves, you know, whether it's a new job or a new project or a new language or a new place to visit, because there's so many amazing things to experience in your lifetime, whether it's feelings or peoples or tastes or locations. And if you don't go and try it, like you really will never know what you're capable of, what you enjoy, who you could meet. Like there's so much behind that of like being a yes for your, for life to see what's actually going to happen. Like you don't know, like we're not good at planning or dreaming a life as big as we could have one. Like we are never going to be big enough (laughs) when we're Mm pre-planning. Yeah. I read this book last year called, um, the surrender experiment and it's, it's a Buddhist book. Um, it's really, really good. Um, it's a little bit, uh, very like spiritual, a little bit like, um, you know, uh, this is about a guy who like meditates all the time and like how he just started saying yes to the universe and this and that. And, um, you know, last year I, 
last year I went through a breakup, moved away from a place I lived for 19 years, started a brand new job in a town where I didn't know anybody mm-hmm. <laughs> and was like, you know, like I was just really in a, like a lot of resistance to like what was happening. I was still say I was still showing up and doing it, but like I was having a really hard time finding like my joy Yep, because like everything that I connected to was like gone. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had to like start over and I, I, you know, people would say like, it's one thing to go through a breakup. It's one thing to start a new job and it's one thing to move away from your home and you do all three at the same time, (laughs) you know? And so I read this book and it just like really changed my, you know, it really changed my perception on things because I just started saying yes to the universe. And, um, it was, and I took that on, right? Like that was kind of something like I committed to my life. Like I was going to take on this surrender experiment in my own life mm-hmm. and say yes. And, um, to like everything life, life threw at me. And, um, and you know, this, you know, you knew Matt Weber and, yeah. uh, you know, he, he died in, tragically in September while I was in the midst of this like surrender experiment in my life. And, and for everyone I listening, just, that's who you were dating before, correct? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Matt Weber was um, an ex-boyfriend that I dated for a year and a half. He um, was there with me when I started Project. He was a board member on Project Bike Love. He um, was actually with me when my dad died, and he was a huge part of my life. And him and I broke up. Um, and then we became really good friends and had, um, had like a really great relationship. Honestly, that's, that's like one of the miracle relationships in my life that like people don't think you can have, Mm -hmm. but to have like a powerful breakup where you like still really love someone. And even though like there's like hurt and things that happen in your relationship, like you sit down and you get complete with it and you define what the rest of your relationship is going to look like, like Matt and I fucking nailed it. It was like, it was honestly the most important relationship in my life because of that. Yeah. Because of the fact that we had a beautiful relationship and then we had a beautiful breakup and then we had a beautiful friendship and and it wasn't because it didn't hurt or because it wasn't hard. It was just because we both showed up. Yeah. Like, constantly. and then he went to uh, South America to travel because he had just, um, he had just, uh, like, his job had just, he, had, he got let go from his job and he was looking for another job. So he went to South America to travel. And, um, we talked like every other day and it was so beautiful. Cause he just like took this threat, like he took this leap to like live big, you know, and do something that he hadn't or wouldn't have normally done, you know, mm-hmm. just like go solo and travel. Um, and then he died in a hiking accident. And, uh, like that, that was, is, was, is really, hard, especially like in my life when I'm in this, like, um, you know, trying to really like say yes. And like, I, you know, I couldn't, Yeah. like, I couldn't say yes. Like I was like, no, (laughs) I was with a really angry, like little kids stomping their feet on the ground, arms crossed across their chest, like fucking no, no, no. You know, like it was like that. It was like so much resistance. Like I could 
not, I couldn't accept it. Um, and it was, that was like, that was really hard. That was hard to show up for work. That was hard to show up in my life. Yeah. Like, I had to, I had to fight for my happiness and my life in a lot of ways more than I ever had because of that, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's just like one of those things where you're kind of like, okay, like I am doing all of the fucking work universe. Why is this happening? Right. <laughs> um, so what, what do you, what did you do? Like, what did you go to, to, to get back to finding joy and to get back to being okay with being a yes to what was happening? I reached out to people who loved me and I learned, like, I really, I guess like I really learned to let people in because I'm so independent. Mm -hmm. Like I will help you. I will do anything in the world to help you, but I will not ask you for help. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's like my thing. So, you know, I realized that like, I couldn't do that. I could like, I guess what I realized is I couldn't do it alone. There's no way I was going to be able to get through it on my own. And I was, to give you a little like insight to where I was, it's like, you know, I moved out here. It's really expensive to live in this area. It cost a lot of money to have this apartment I was living in. So I wasn't doing anything. I was really just going to work and going home every day. And um, when Matt died, like I would just go to work and then I go home and then I cry and then I get up and I go to work and I come home and then like somehow I'd like get through the week and then on Fridays I would just collapse because like I don't know how I'd have to like force myself to like be present because like I teach I like get up in front of students and teach stuff so like I can't be a mess like I have yeah. to I have to perform so like I have to perform all week long and then I get home and I fall apart like um and so it's honestly the people who would call me every day and just tell me they love me and tell me they're thinking about me. And I finally, I actually went to see a therapist, which I hadn't done in a very long time, but she really, she like changed my life. Cause she was like, you're, you can't sit in your apartment every day. And she's like, and maybe this isn't the year you're getting out of debt. Right. She's like, you need to spend some money. You need to like go on this trip. You need to plan things and have something to look forward to. You need to like be with people and like make it a commitment to like go be with people at least once a week and this and that. And so, you know, I'm just, I listened to everything she said and I did everything she told me to do, whether I felt like it or not. Mm-hmm. And it worked. And that's like one thing that I know about myself at this point in my life is that I don't have the answer to everything. And sometimes just doing what someone else tells me to do is better, you know, even if I don't necessarily want to, because like, (laughs) for sure, I know that I know that I don't know everything, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, and trying it someone else's way works. Like we're all the same, you know? So it's like, why wouldn't someone else's way work just the same for me? Because my way was not working. Especially people that care about you. Yeah, exactly. And that's why it was like, I, like I stuck so, I stuck so close to the people, like my tribe, Mm -hmm. you know, like 
the people who I knew loved me because that was like the only way I was going to like get through it. Yeah. And where do you feel that you're at now? I feel, um, I feel like I have done, I have thought really hard and done the work to find joy. And, um, but I miss Matt like crazy. Sure. And some days I'm still mad at him (laughs) for no reason, (laughs) you know, like just because like it's all the normal stages of grief. There's nothing, I don't feel like there's anything abnormal about my grief. I think the thing that is the hardest is that, um, for the people who aren't like in it, like the people who are around me that, that, you know, after a certain amount of time, everyone kind of forgets about it. Yeah. You know? But like for the person, like for me, who's still really going through it, it's not, you know, it's not as acceptable to just ball my eyes out in the middle of the day, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because for like a few months, everyone knew what was wrong. But now it would be like, what's wrong? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like the same thing, you know, but I feel like in a lot of ways, I, I really took on and I did this when my dad died too and and I did this when Jamie uh, it was like that was my best friend Jamie mm-hmm. and um and I think that people can deal with death in, in a lot of different ways but I think for me what has really worked in my grief and in my life is to take the things that I loved most about them and try to be more like that yeah you know, and, and somehow in doing that with my dad and with Matt, like they still are very present in my life. Like there isn't a day I don't think about them, you know, because I'm constantly intentionally living for them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, so. it's a way of, of healing yourself while honoring them. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, yeah. And for people who have been such a, a positive impact and love in your life, like, you know, it's why would you ever want to let them go? Like, you don't have to and you shouldn't need to because, yeah, like, I believe that they're with you all the time now. Um, but it's important that you feel it and that that connection for you is just as strong as it was when they were physically here. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I remember when your father passed away, like, I could not believe what a champ you were in the sense that your father passed away, you had recently like been laid off from a job, like you had all these things happening at once. I'm like, there's like no fucking way all of this happens at once for somebody. And you just kept showing up like, it takes so much to keep showing up. And the fact that you are able to do that, I think it speaks to what you're trained for from the same person who can do a 24 hour race is the same person that can show up when life happens. So, you know, I think thank you for being that example for people and thank you for continuing to show up, not just for others, but for yourself. I mean, you don't work this hard to have the life that you have. And then, you know, people that care about you aren't going to let you not keep having a great life because you've worked so hard to have it. Um, And you make such an impact on people. Yeah. I mean, 
I think even just like I look forward to coming back around to even like power, um, Project Bike Love because it's not hard. Like it is not easy to to run a charity because there's so little um, reward that comes out of it in the t- traditional sense of reward. There's not a lot of acknowledgement. There's yeah. not a lot of money. There's not a lot of high fives. No. Like to run, and it's so, it's so much harder than I think people think it is to do to do good in this world, and there's so much that you have to generate to keep showing up. And I know that you know there is the reward, which is why people keep doing it. But um, yeah, like wh- what makes you keep continue to do Project Bike Love, and and what does it mean to you? Gosh, it's like. Even just listening to you talk, first of all, thank you so much. You're um, welcome. It, it's so, it's true. It's so hard. Um, and I, it's not like it's hard work. It's just like out on a date like over and over again and they just keep saying no. And it's like the rejection never really gets better. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's kind of like rejection all the time in the weirdest, like it's just a lot of people telling, you no, and just searching for a yes in a giant fucking pile of no's. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and that's what running a nonprofit is like. <laughs> <laughs> that's the PSA. That's why everyone should do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But like when you find that yes and things start to happen, it is like fucking magic. It like courses through your fucking veins and your soul and you're on fire and you literally feel like the world is like so connected, you know? And like, so it's like, it's worth it. You know what I mean? Like it's worth it. Like I will... I will go through that pile of no's for the rest of my life to find the yeses that bring bikes to these women. Because when it happens, the impact is so incredibly beautiful that it's, it's, it's worth it. It is worth it. I would do it a million times over again to even get half the results that we've got. Yeah. Because it's like the one, you know, obviously like every time we donate bikes to women it's different and beautiful in its own ways like whether we're in Paraguay getting giving women time back into their lives and hearing their stories of how they use the bike to do laundry and like how they got their kids to school or how they were able to like go further to sell their products at the market to just like how excited they are that they like got a bike it, it, for some of them, it's the delivery itself, just a gift that changes their lives. Cause it's like, they've never been given anything, mm-hmm. you know? And, and then like we delivered bikes to this girl scout troop in February um, on a Navajo. Um, and it was amazing. These little girls, like all like elementary middle school girls just like sat around, um, Kevin, who's a bike mechanic at, um, rock and road. And he was like teaching them all the different parts of a bike. And these girls were so into it. They were like yelling out answers and this (laughs) and that. And then, then we all went out and we rode the bikes and it's like, it's such a beautiful day. But then like what happens afterwards is what really like 
is the part that like really matters. It's like the moms start to call and they say, oh my God, my daughter didn't want to watch cartoons this morning. She just wanted to go ride her bike. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, my daughter, like all she wants to do is ride her bike now. And then she's like, oh, you know, we hear these stories of like, one of the girls who didn't know how to ride a bike when we did it, you know, when we gave her the bike is now riding her bike. And she went outside and like tried every day until she like, you know, going and riding together with their moms or their families or with each other. And you're just like, this is just, it's so cool. It's just so cool. Like you change their life and you inspire them and empower them. And they, and not only just because they're on a bike, but like they actually want to, give back in their own way now. And that's the part that's cool because that was something that I never expected. Mm-hmm. But what really happened, a lot of these women are like, look at these women helping women. We want to go help women too. So like, not only are you actually like making a difference in these women's lives, but like these women start wanting to make a difference in other women's lives or people's lives. Yeah, And it's like the domino effect of this is like beyond anything I'll ever even know because it just will, it just, goes and goes and goes and and that part is so beautiful have you done the exercise to add up how many people that you know you've impacted oh my god I haven't done that but that would be pretty crazy I think you need to it's so cool when and um for everyone listening the the exercise is just to add up literally write down everyone's name that you know you've directly impacted and if you know that they've impacted somebody else you get to put them on the list too and when you do that and look at the the magnitude of what you've done I mean we we try in our lifetime just to make a difference for one person and the fact that you can already make a list of people like how awesome I know it's so awesome I'll be like it's it's honestly so rewarding to do it to feel like you're making a contribution in this world because it's so daunting because you feel so powerless, I think. And I'm, when I say you, I mean me. Yeah. Like I think that's what was the deterrent from really getting involved in, in anything like this was that I just never felt like I could, like who was I to go change some women's lives? Like me, I couldn't even finish like an equestrian program. You know, like that was the story I was making up about myself every day. It was always the like, who am I to think I could have a cool job? I didn't even blah, 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 blah. But like, who am I to think I could have a great relationship? I didn't, you know, like that was like my, that was like my internal story all the time was like, who did I think I was? I was nobody, you Mm -hmm. know? And then that's changed for me in a way that like, not for me, but like how I view everybody. We all can do it. Like all of us, like I am not better, different, unique. I am nothing different than anybody else out there. Like all I did was just do it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's funny. I've, I've brought up that same statement a couple of podcasts ago about how I feel the same way. Like I don't feel special. I don't feel different. I don't feel more or less capable than anybody else. And I'm present to the fact that, that we all are equally special and different and have this gift. And it's this, it's this push pull between we're all the same and we're all special. And that means that we all are, have a responsibility to really give our gifts out to the world. And we all, like, it means that any of us can, like, it shouldn't. Yeah. It's like equally, 
it equally, I hope, gives people freedom to know that no one's special and equally give them power to know that they are special enough to make a difference. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Can I can I just add this really funny, cute yeah. note? So I actually, for those who are listening, got the opportunity to make my music debut. And I was in, I created music for a Project Bike Love, like little YouTube commercial. Um, oh, yeah. Years and years ago. <laughs> and <laughs> a few weeks ago, I bought this shirt and I'm wearing it today. And I honestly was like, no, I'm not going to wear this shirt today. And the shirt, no joke, has has uh, a sloth riding a bicycle. That's the repeat print on the whole <laughs> yes. shirt. So <laughs> I, I I don't own anything with bicycles on it. And I picked this shirt to wear uh, as we were recording. So I not wanted to add that. Not to. knowing. I didn't know who was going to be calling. Yeah. So. I love it. <laughs> For people who have now fallen in love with you and want to give you all of their money and resources, um, what is a way that they can support Project Bike Love today? The best way is just to go to projectbikelove.org and donate through there. Um, And then if you are a cyclist or you have a cyclist in your life, (coughs) we also are um, doing a pre-order for some really cool kits. I don't know when this is going to air, so I'm not sure if it'll still be going. But there's always like the opportunity to purchase stuff on the website or um, different campaigns that we're running. Um, are great; those are great ways to support. And if people want to host a fundraiser wherever they are in the world, or they want to get involved in a bigger way, then um, they can contact you through the website as well. Yes, you can contact to the website. My email phone number is on there. My email is just Aaron at projectbikelove.org. And I, we are always looking for partnerships. We like to partner with other nonprofits to do um, fundraising. Like we want to support you and we want to work together. Um, that's kind of been our mission from day one is you know, being part of a community. We never want to like go in and do it ourselves. We really want to like involve ourselves in your community and help. Um, So yeah, if you have any ideas or, you know, organizations that want bikes donated or anything like that, we love, we love it. So please contact me. So of course, it's the Powerful Ladies podcast. And I would love to know, you know, you spoke a little bit about Boleyn being an impact in your life, but who are other powerful ladies that um, have inspired you and supported you and kind of helped you along the way of everything that you've been up to and becoming who you are as well? Oh my gosh. They're honestly, the women in my family are amazing. My mother is the strongest woman I know. Um, she is just a beautiful, hardworking woman. Like I just, I, I, I'm so lucky to have her as a mom, honestly. And, um, she's always been supportive of me. We had, you know, like any relationship, it was tough when I was younger and we both, you know, have always been committed to fighting for our our relationship. And she's like, I don't know, she's like one of my best friends, but most importantly, she's my mother. She's a great mother. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and then my sister, 
who literally has been the person that I looked up to and wanted to be my entire life. Um, she's just an amazing woman and mother now. And she's, a, you know, full-time lawyer, raises three kids in New York. She's like, I don't know how she does it. She's like inspiring and beautiful and everything. So I love it. Um, and then honestly, my sister-in-law who's been in my family since I was like late teens, early twenties, her and my brother have been married like forever, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So she's pretty much my other sister. Um, and I love her. And the other thing is, is like the three women in my life, like in my family, they're so different. And that's what's so great because they all give me advice and inspiration in different ways. Um, and I, and I love that. And the, and my friends, like the girlfriends in my life, I really, like, I've had people comment on it and been like, God, you have really amazing friendships. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I really do like I re- like they are deep and meaningful and they're like family like the girls I grew up with in Alabama those are like my girls they're my family um and then you know the girls like girls that you even know like Danielle mm-hmm. she's like she is my family she's um you know she's been there with me through everything and uh and she saw me, you know, she was there when I ended my marriage. She was there, or my marriage, my wedding. And then she was there, you know, when my dad died. And when and she did Landmark with me and her life changed. And I've seen her life develop. And I just, oh gosh, and I have other girlfriends, my girlfriend, Rasa. My, I just have so many amazing girlfriends that honestly inspire me and make me want to be a better person. And um, I'm so fortunate for that. Like, you know. I joke because like in high school, like I always felt like I had these like catty women friendships, you know, mm-hmm. the very like stereotypical ones. And like, I, those do not even exist in my life in any way. Like yeah. the relationships I have now with women are so meaningful and, um, they actually are like an addition to, they actually like are part of my life. You know, they inspire yeah. me and they help me grow and they're people who I actually like take advice and listen to. They're not just like people I call the bitch to, you know, like I do that too. But yeah. then like, I also like take the feedback and give the feedback and we are, it's, and we're all like in, I guess, you know, the way I like to put it and I steal this from Brene Brown, but it's so good. Is that like, we're all in the arena. Yeah. You know, we're all in the arena doing the hard work, having the hard conversations, being vulnerable with our lives and each other. And like, that is huge. And I don't want anything else. I don't want anything else than that. <laughs> no, it's so, so empowering when your, your world um, and the people in it are, are all playing big. It changes the entire game. Like it's different. It's not the reoccurring conversations. It's not any of the cattiness and the gossip and all the smallness. Like when you're surrounded by people who are beasts at taking on their life to be the best it can be, like it's amazing how fast it can transform your life by proxy, let alone when you're equally contributing the way that you are. Yes, I agree. We have had conversations in the past about how you gave up on makeup a long time ago because you were bad at it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, like, what is, when you hear powerful lady, like, what does that bring up for you? And how do you think you fit within the term powerful lady? Gosh, you know, it's one thing, 
I love this because this conversation comes up a lot, um, like in all women's forums I'm in and stuff like that, because it's like someone will be like, oh, like, God, she has on so much makeup, you know, or like, oh, like there's always like these judgy things, right, with women. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the, the way that I really, you know, I just, I don't think that there's like a definition of like. A, a lady or a woman, right? Like yeah. you can wear makeup, you can not wear makeup, you can wear dresses, you can heels, or you can wear Birkenstocks and, you know, sweatpants. Like, I don't think like, and that's, that hasn't always been it, right? Because, you know, I think as a child, like you thought like being a lady meant, you know, a certain sort of look or the way you handle yourself. And, especially you know, in the think, South. Yes, especially in the South. And I feel like when I think of a powerful lady, like, and how I fit in that is like, I guess I really feel like loving women for all their individual, like, ways of being Mm -hmm. is like really powerful, right? Like empowering women and supporting women and, you know, and it's not that like in my head, I don't get competitive or judgmental or blah, blah, blah. It's not like I'm this like perfect person walking around that like, is absolved from judgment. You know, like I don't (laughs) want to come across like that. Like I am so human, but like, I feel like I'm so aware of it. Like I have so much self-awareness that I can be like, okay, Aaron, like shut that thought down. Like you weirdo. (laughs) Like, you know, like I like know it's happening and then I can like get over it and like, you know, really just be and like be, you know, in a place of like gratitude and like compassion and all of those things. And I guess like, I guess maybe that's how I would see myself fitting in as like a powerful lady is just like, I love women mm-hmm. in all of their ways. Even the ones that I don't understand and can't figure out how to get along with. Yeah. Like I know it's me or like, I know it's not them, you know, that kind of thing. Like it's still like, you can still not get along with everyone and like love them and, you know, have like compassion for them and, you know, root for them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of like, I think that's like the best way to like be a powerful woman or a powerful lady in your life is to like really root for other women and really be like, you know, part of the team. We we both have worked in industries that are mostly men. Me, the skateboarding yeah. sports world, <laughs> you in bikes. Um, how has that yeah. How has that been for you and how has that further defined you as a woman and you and your relationships with men, women, and everything in between? Um, gosh, I think there's so much. Uh, there's so much that that could be like a whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is like, it's crazy because that's what I do. You know, I teach product, mountain bike products specifically, so even more male-dominated than and uh, I teach it usually to classes of like 20 to 25 men. Um, and I go around to retailers and I teach them and it's always men. And I, and uh, you know, I sit in conference rooms and have conversations and I'm the only woman, you know, and there's definitely challenges in a lot of ways. Um, and I think that, I I think it's made me really tough in a lot of ways, like being, 
you know, in the job that I have, we're constantly giving feedback. Like mm-hmm. that's what we do. We get up there, we give a presentation and then you come off and then you talk to your coworkers and they tell you how you can improve or do better, you yeah. know? And then you get up there and you give another presentation and you come down and you give feedback and they tell you like what you did wrong, what you, you know? So you're like constantly getting feedback and like, I work with all men. So I'm constantly getting feedback from men, whether it's like, it's anything from like what shoes to wear to like, not say this crutch word to like, don't pace back and forth to like, you know what I mean? Like all of it, you get, you've done that. You get the feedback and it's like, and somehow like I'm used to it, but like, I sometimes sit back and think like, wow, I just constantly get criticized and feedback by men all day long. And I'm at the point where I don't really think of it like that. Like, I don't think of it as like men mm-hmm. giving me the feedback. They're just my coworkers because I'm like used to it. But I had someone tell me recently that took a class of mine. He said, I, I love that you teach this class. He's like, I want to bring my daughter because I want my daughter to see that she could do this. That there's like, yeah. you know, and, and it, essentially he was saying how, you know, amazed he was that, that I did this and I did it confidently and I, taught suspension to a group of men, you know, and he thought like, that's so, you know, it's badass. (laughs) And I think, yeah, it's badass. But like, for me, it's it's what I do. It's my job. I get paid to do it. I show up and I do it, Mm -hmm. you know, but like, I, I forget sometimes that like, that's not that easy, you know, like for women, there is, it is tough. Like it is, it's extra tough. It's first of all, it's tough to do public speaking. Second of all, it's extra tough when you're a woman and you're doing it to men all the time, (laughs) you know? So, um, I, you know, I think that it's, it's made me tough. And now in a way it's making me like more compassionate and understanding. And I feel like I can be a better resource or like mentor for women who, who, who want to do something like this, you know? And, um, and I kind of like it too, because I think that I am a lot sometimes it's like a, the women who get involved in like male industries are very like tomboyish, yep. you know, whatever that means, but that's, I'm just using that for lack of better term, but you know, they're like tomboyish. And then other women see that and they think like, Oh, well that woman's like much more relatable to men. And like, I kind of try to break the barrier of like still being, I'm still a very feminine woman, you mm-hmm. know? You have long, <laughs> in, beautiful, in curly industry. hair, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I'm still very like, you know, feminine in that way. So it's like, it's like, I want more women to understand that there isn't a stereotype about like what women can and can't do in the industry. It's like, it's like any, like all women can be involved in a male dominated industry. Like we all can, it doesn't matter yeah. what kind of woman you are, you know? No, and even like the definition of tomboy, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's, I'm curious how much longer that term is going to exist as in, in, the, in the vernacular, because they're, you know, I, I think the biggest extreme that we can look at in modern culture are the women who fight in the UFC. Because you have women who fight in the UFC who are straight. You have women who fight in the UFC who are gay. You have women who have long hair, short hair. Women who show up to fight wearing makeup. Women who would never dare. (laughs) Women who can kick the ass of most of the guys that are in weight classes bigger than them. You know, women who off camera are in sweats all the time and others that show up and you're like, they are look like they're ready for a red carpet. And I, (laughs) I, I, I love that, like... 
women playing sports in America is no longer a surprise. And I love that women are now given the space to show up on a spectrum, um, even when they're doing things that were previously male dominated. Like, yeah, it's, it's like you can you can work in these you know, male-dominated industries and still show up as whatever version of female is to you. And that's a space that hasn't always been there. Like, I even know, I never felt, I always felt like I was equal to everybody I was working with when there was mostly men in the group. And I always felt like I was honored and respected and taken care of like 99.9% of the time. And, um, but I always knew that in my head, I'm like, there's a few things I can't do at work, and one of them is cry, even if I want to. Yeah. Because that's just a no-no. You're not allowed to be – you don't get respected if you're a woman and you cry. And a lot of that, like, imagine that's what so many women think about. And it, if you can't cry in one place, it means you're probably not crying somewhere else that you should. So, like, yeah. there's still those, like, small things that, you know, I guess small or big, I guess, is on the scale of uh, just depending on where you're at on it. But – there's still things that are getting redefined, which is, I think I'm honestly am fascinated about how it's all happening right now. And I just think it's really interesting to see how it's evolving and what's changing. And that no matter where you gender identify, that people are going back to what matters in regards to respecting people and treating people and showing your strength in regards to whatever that means for you. Um, yeah. You know, you definitely fall into the category of, you know, with the you classified yourself as adrenaline junkie and you've been a survivor of so many different things that have happened. And that's what your strength looks like. And at the same time, like, um, you know, I know how emotional you get when you get to deliver a bike, right? Because you, you film yourself and you share it with all of us. And I love that you can... Um, you know, just just in your world, see the example of of you getting to fill whatever you want on the human spectrum of being, feeling, and doing, which is is really cool. And I wish more people get inspired by you and kind of take on being more like Erin. Oh. oh, thank you. Thank you. I've, you know, and that's why I, I really took that on is trying to be or not trying, I shouldn't say trying, but showing up like in a vulnerable way or it's just so funny that you said the crying thing because this is what the universe does for me because you know when you commit to something <laughs> and then if you're like not doing it, the universe is like, well, let me give you something to make you do it, you know? Like, uh-huh. And I was kind of like like that at work, you know? And then when, when Matt died, like there was no way I wasn't, I couldn't go to work if I wasn't allowed to cry there, you know, like I had to be able to grieve at work and to be able to show up to do my job. And so, you know, my boss, I remember one time he literally, and he, he, my boss is so good. He's the guy who sits right next to you or right in front of you, close to you and has a hard conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and I remember if he sat in front of me and, I just not cried. Like, I don't know what to do with this grief and I don't know how to be here. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he just was there with me and like related to me and 
shared a story that was really vulnerable from like his past. And I was like, you know what? Why the hell? Like, am I afraid to be vulnerable at work? Like yeah. this, uh, this, this was so powerful to be able to connect with my boss right now in this grief. And here I was trying to be tough in a man's world mm-hmm. when like, that's not, that's not what I needed to be doing, <laughs> you know, like, so like the, you know, like I wasn't like, I was trying to be tough and not cry and like, you know, be in that world. And then the universe was like, nope. <laughs> yeah. You think, you think you're tougher than I am? Nice try. Let's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it does. I do appreciate how the universe has that sense of humor. Yes. Either it gives you yes. exactly what you ask for, or um, if you're not living up to the agreements you made, it will shove them in your face. And exactly. It's like a like a bratty sibling sometimes like that. But um, <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Like, it's all coming from yes. a place of, you know, getting us where we need to go and honoring our word, which they all come back yeah. to the same thing, right? Exactly. So we ask everybody on the podcast where you put yourself on the powerful lady scale, uh, zero being average everyday human and 10 being the most powerful version of a powerful lady. Where do you feel today and where do you feel on average? Girl, I feel like a (laughs) one in 10 every day. (laughs) (laughs) And that is totally the truth. Like I feel there is like literally like, I feel like a one, like a totally average person, like human, powerful lady. Like I just, that's what I feel like. But there are definitely moments where I feel like, fuck yeah, I am showing up, you know, like, and I look at that. I did a self review for my job, you know, like we have reviews and you have to do like the self evaluation. And there was this project that I was supposed to go and do and I didn't do it um, to the standard that I wanted to, because it was like a week after Matt died and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't show up alone. I needed support from my team. I wasn't able to like complete it on my own. Like it said, Mm -hmm. I was supposed to go like by myself and I didn't. And so I get on this review and I'm like, I didn't do it. Zero. It didn't happen. Blah, 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 blah. And then I thought about it and I went back and I was like, no, (laughs) I was like three. I was like success. And I literally wrote, I showed up. Yeah. And that's what I wrote because you know what? I fucking showed up. And like, sometimes like, that's like, that is like beyond powerful. That is like, that takes more effort than anything else. It's just showing up because you said you would. And it's not a failure just because you have to ask for help. No, of course not. Sometimes I think that's the most powerful thing is like saying, you know, I can't do this alone right now. I need support. And so like, you know, like I can kind of look at my life like that now and be like, you know what? I'm a fucking badass. I showed up. (laughs) Yeah, you keep (laughs) showing up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then, and, and that, um, I don't know. I think that's really, you know, I, I think that's, that says a lot it does people who aren't going through big things in life have a hard time showing up sometimes and it's all wherever you're at on the on the scale of how your life's going how you feel about it like how much energy you have and 
I've had quite a few women who have declined so far to come on the podcast because they don't feel like they've completed their story. And that is equally heartbreaking and enraging because that's not what the definition is. Like the definition is, are you, do you keep showing up? Like, do you, you might not hit your goal ever, especially if you are a crazy person like I am that likes to shoot for (laughs) Mars, not even the moon. So like, you you gotta just keep going. And, you know, there is a, I don't remember who, we'll have to add this into the show notes, but there's a great quote about, don't compare yourself to others, but compare yourself to where you were yesterday. Yeah. And as long as you do that, and you can evaluate good, bad, what do I need to do differently, and like keep going forward, like that's that's what it is. And sometimes it's not even going forward. It's like, I need to take a left. <laughs> like, I need some real time. Yeah. And that's fine. It's like, it's... The path that each of us is on for what we need to experience and get and and help other people is so different and unique and there is no there's no way to know what it is. So just keep Exactly. Keep waking up, keep saying yes, keep saying hi to people. Yeah. That's like it's funny. I one thing just to touch on really quick, I remember what Richard back when I was taking SELP when I was coaching and I had lost my job and my dad and all of that stuff and He said, just know that you don't know what it looks like yet because it's beyond your wildest imagination when I was looking for like a job or whatever. And that has stuck with me because now I say, I'm going to make this happen and I don't know what it looks like yet. Mm -hmm. And that has been such a great way to set goals in my life and to keep showing up is not having an expectation of like what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. But just knowing that this is what my commitment and being okay that I don't have a clue what that's going to look like, but it's going to be better than I imagine or different than I imagine or whatever, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, from that conversation with him, a lot of amazing things you never expected showed up, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. All like all now all the time. Mm-hmm. I like kind of created that in my life. And so now it's just like. I don't know what, it, like, my job right now. For I, you know, I've been applying for a job at Specialized for over a year. Yeah. And the job that I got was beyond any of the jobs that I had applied for. You know? So it's like, I didn't know when or how it was going to look like or how it was going to turn out. And I just said, I just said yes, you know? So. I love it. What, as we're wrapping up, what are some final words that you want the audience to know? Any advice, quotes you want to give them? Anything that you haven't touched on that you think is important for them to know about you or to know in general? I just, the one thing that I like to tell people if they're interested in pursuing a dream job or a nonprofit is that there's a lot of people who will say things like, oh, so many people are already doing that, or it's so saturated, or it's so hard to do. And it's such a deterrent for us, mm-hmm. you know, because we, we so often don't start things because we, because we, people tell us like how hard it's going to be. And I remember that in college, like I wanted to go to marriage, I wanted to be a marriage and family therapist. And everyone's like, oh, well, the market's so saturated in Orange County, blah, 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 blah. And so like, I kind of just brushed it off. Like, oh, there's no room for me there. And the reality is the the fucking hard truth is that if it's your passion, there is room for it in this world. 100%. Yes. 
there's nothing that is too saturated for us to be to build our lives around. It's totally, like, there can be 500 nonprofits that do the same thing and we still wouldn't do enough for the world. So it's like, whatever you want to do, like, just do it. And like, disregard all the noise that are telling you why you shouldn't, because that is, it's, and I mean, I think that's, that's the biggest thing that I really like to tell people when they're pursuing their passion, because so many people don't. And it's for the simplest things that like somebody said, it's oversaturated or it's too hard or, it's, you know, I don't know. No, I mean, it happened to me starting, you know, transforming powerful ladies from an annual charity to what it is today. They're like, why would you do that? There's already yeah. a million and one like women's empowerment things. It's a trend. It's going away. And I was like, what? Like, no, yeah. like. The women whose stories I want to tell, no one's telling right now. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And similarly, it was like, I was so caught off guard by why say no to somebody who wants to do something that hopefully will be a positive impact. Exactly. Like, there's, you put it so well in that there's so much room for people to show up for other people in this world or animals or the planet or whatever needs assistance uh -huh. right now. And it's for everyone who is accepting the advice that something is oversaturated or it takes a lot of work or it costs a lot of money and they're not doing what they know they're supposed to be doing. That's one less person that's like in the arena, one less person that's helping yes. us to transform what we all know has to transform. And yeah. like, we can't do it without you. Like, please show up. Yeah. And then I think the one other thing that I love, and this is not my quote, it's Brene Brown's quote, but she says, if you're not in the arena getting your ass kicked, I'm not interested in your feedback. And that falls exactly into the other one that I just said, because it's like, mm -hmm. there are people there, like in your tribe, you know, and those are the people whose feedback you should listen to and literally ignore the rest. Yeah. I was going to say there are even people in your tribe that aren't in the arena that sometimes you have to say like, I heard you, I took a note and I'm going to ignore you right exactly. now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 100%. They are. They're like people I'm like, mm, but you're no, like you can't even show up to like dinner with me. Like I'm not listening to you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you can't even commit to like being at the gym at the same time, you know, like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I love you. I but heard you. Like, no, thank you. Yeah, exactly. Like you have to know, like if you, you really want that feedback from the people who are out there living big and doing big things and taking risks with their lives and having the hard conversations and, you know, those are the, in the arena. Like those are the people who, who you need to like really connect with and listen to when you, when you try to do something big. Yeah, and and you know, being in the arena doesn't need to be taking on some big global thing. It really is just no. what you said oh God, no. of showing up and and having the conversations that you don't want to have. It's so true. It's so funny that you say that. I had a friend, a very good friend, a friend that I even went through landmark with, and I sat down with the other day. And I was telling him about some stuff in my life. And he says something to me, like, can I tell you something? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I feel like you're playing a small game. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, hold on a minute. I was like, 
you don't, I was like, I, being in the surrender experiment, being like still in my life, like on a daily basis and like showing up to work and working on, you know, the relationships at my job and like my ability to like be still and like be with the grief that I've been going through. And that, that is huge. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I'm not out there traveling the world right now, saving people's lives, but sometimes my biggest game is to just sit still. Yes. And that is where I'm at today. Yeah. You know, and I think that's huge. And I don't want, when I say like doing something big, I don't want people to think that you need to go like solve the world's water crisis to like be doing something big with your life. Sometimes like the biggest thing you can do is just like be still, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and everyone's life goes through seasons. Like there's going to be moments when you know you're not playing big enough. Um, unless you are out there traveling the world doing something. And there's going to be o- other moments when you're not, like, what you need to do is be still. And there's going to be, and there's things in between that. Um, you know, I see where he was coming from and knowing how powerful you are and that um, he wants you to be, play- be playing even bigger for, for his sake and the world's sake. But, like, <laughs> yeah. what other people want isn't isn't what works for us as individuals. So again, that's a great example of like, I heard you, I made a note and when I'm ready and that makes sense, I'll call, I'll call you back. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. When I'm ready to play that game, I'll give you a call. Yeah. But right now I'm in this game. <laughs> yeah. And that's also why I love that book, um, Big Magic, because um, are you familiar with it? I am not. Okay. It's, um, it's by, um, Elizabeth Gilbert, who did Eat, Pray, Love. It's more of a oh, yeah. a conversation about like creativity and genius and where it comes from and how it flows through people and how to find more creativity in your life. It's It's been a reoccurring yeah. um, recommended book on people who've been, who have been guests. But I also think that there are moments when like you have big, bold ideas and some of those ideas, like they land with you and you're like, I have to make this happen. And then other big ideas you see them, you love them, and you're like, yes, but not right now. And that's not being uh-huh. a chicken shit. That's like really being aware of like, is this mine to have or is this just one passing by me? And the reasons that we jump on the ones that we do, like, like it's because you can't not do them. Like Project Bike Love, you couldn't not do. It would yeah. have haunted you if you didn't take yeah. action on it. <clears throat> yeah. So there's there's so much in between the playing big and when to play big, and it can feel really overwhelming sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. But that's why you have to be able to sit still and listen. And it sounds so woo-woo, but it's so true in that when you pause so and listen, like you, your intuition and the universe are going to tell you what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Exactly. It's like you need that. It's like, go, 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 go with your life. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to need to like sit still and, you know, process, sort of listen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Process. And then, then decide like what's next, you know? Yeah. Cause it's, otherwise you miss these like little beautiful moments that, um, are so important to see as well. Exactly. 
Well, as I expected, Erin, this has been an amazing conversation. I'm so glad that you were a yes to Powerful Ladies. I'm so glad that you are a powerful lady that is part of my life and that I get to be inspired by. And now a whole universe of people get to be inspired by. Um, I can't wait for you to have your TED Talk someday. I think that's a possibility. <laughs> and um, it's a possibility. Yeah. And I look. I just really look forward to hearing the impact that this episode has on the world and um, the feedback that you get and we receive from it as well. So thank you so much for playing big and being awesome. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I love you and I love that we've done a lot of work together and stuff. So this is really cool. Um, it was really cool to chat with you and... And I appreciate you having me on. We all love Erin, and I'm sure you guys do now too. I'm going to dare to say this might just be what Oprah looks like on a bicycle. It's Erin. I can't wait to hear all of your feedback about this episode. Since we've recorded, she's had even more life changes. This is her quote. Basically, in a matter of a couple of weeks, I got recruited for an amazing job opportunity with Fox Racing to be the market developer for all of Colorado. I packed up and started my life all over out there. I'm loving everything Colorado has to offer so far and finding so much love and healing out here. To connect, support, and follow Erin and Project Bike Love, you can follow her on Instagram at outdoor underscore bougie, Twitter at Erin McCann, and Facebook E. McCann. You can visit her website, erinmccann.com, email her, erin at projectbikelove.org, and of course, go to the website, projectbikelove.org, to donate and see where they're delivering bikes next. For all the correct spellings, all the direct links, and notes about everything we talked about on this episode, please visit thepowerfulladies.com. If you'd like to support the work that we're doing here at Powerful Ladies, there's a couple of ways you can do that. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Leave a review on any of these platforms. Share the show with all the powerful ladies and gentlemen in your life. Join our Patreon account. Check out the website, thepowerfulladies.com to hear more inspiring stories, get practical tools to be your most powerful, get 15% off your first order in the Powerful Ladies shop, or donate to the Powerful Ladies One Day of Giving campaign. And of course, follow us on Instagram at Powerful Ladies. For show notes and to get the links to the books, podcasts, and people we talk about, go to thepowerfulladies.com. I'd like to thank our producer, composer, and audio engineer, Jordan Duffy. She's one of the first female audio engineers in the podcasting world, if not the first. And she also happens to be the best. We're very lucky to have her. She's a powerful lady in her own right, in addition to taking over the podcasting world. She's a singer-songwriter working on her next album, and she's one of my sisters. So it's amazing to be creating this with her, and I'm so thankful that she finds time in her crazy busy schedule to make this happen. It's a testament to her belief in what we're creating through Powerful Ladies, and I'm honored that she shares my vision. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. I can't wait for you to hear it. Until then, I hope you're taking on being powerful in your life, Go be awesome and up to something you love.